your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead, The Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Welcome. Thanks for listening. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and thank you all so much for joining me today. We've got a great show uh, lined up today. I met Claire Novak about two years ago, actually, almost to the day, in, um, in India. And why this was interesting is we were both speaking at a conference um, for human resources and uh, HR excellence in India, which was uh, sponsored over there. And about a month before that, Claire had been featured in a New York Times article about HR people and what they were doing in their next wave of their career. And she's gone to some very, very interesting places in the world um, doing leadership and HR work and has, uh, uh, frankly, in parts of the world where a lot of people really don't go and has a very interesting perspective on those parts of the world and some of the views that we all may have, A, about them, and B, how you have to lead and engage and motivate people um, in these parts of the world. So I I was fascinated because when Claire and I were talking, I said, were you in the New York Times about three weeks ago? And she said, yes, I was. Um, So it was very exciting. Uh, I was speaking on transglobal leadership. As you all know, that's a a core uh, practice of mine, developing global leaders around the world. And Claire was talking about her experiences as an HR leader in other parts of the world. So I ran into Claire again, and I said, I've got to have you on the show. So thanks for joining me today, Claire. Thanks so much for the invitation, Linda. I'm delighted, and it was great to meet together in Mumbai and to continue uh, staying in touch with one another. It's exciting to see what's happening in the human resources and leadership world globally. Yeah, it really is. You probably saw that Wall Street Journal recently had an article, Janice Semper, a woman I used to work with uh, at GE, and actually she uh, was... You know, just quoted in the um, article because GE, you know, who actually many companies patterned themselves after GE for lots and lots of years, is starting to become uh, much more flexible about its rewards, really rethinking its performance management systems. Um, I was there a couple of months ago. I, I really applaud them for adjusting and changing their culture for, for one, really, to be more... Um, attuned to what's going on in the 21st century and what motivates employees. So um, Janice was on the show a while back. So it's it's kind of interesting when you say that a lot of things are changing in the HR arena and a lot of stuff we learned in the 20th century just is not going to play in the, in the 21st. Is that, is that your perspective of, as well, Claire? That's true. The world uh, globally in HR is evolving. It is becoming more attuned to the person in the organization 
and moving away from the old perception of people being clockwork parts that was part of the mechanization. And uh, Henry Ford did a lot of great things. And he also, at the same time, brought in that mechanized view of the worker as an interchangeable part. And we've been moving away from that now for some time and in a good way to include who people are, what motivates them, and, and recognizing how important the person is within the organization. Yeah, and I think that's so important. I think that's a critical factor for the 21st century. So when we first met, you were in Pakistan, um, and now you have your own consulting practice, right? Um, I had moved in and out of my own consulting practice over the years. In Pakistan, I happened to be uh, contracting through another organization, and that's been the nature of my work, and more and more people are fluid workers in the same way that I am, where they move in and out of businesses and in and out of self-employment and in and out of contract work. And I see that as a model going forward where as people take more charge of their careers, that they're fluid and flexible about how that happens over the course of, of their career. So I may be a little up front in, in leading that charge. Yeah. However, I think more and more people are going to become very flexible in their uh, approach to being in the workforce. Well, people want more freedom. And the whole nature of, of what constitutes a... Uh, a job is really changing with the gig economy a lot, I think. You know, people are not necessarily having to say, oh, it's a rare person these days that, that retires after 40 years or 30 years from a company. That's just not going to happen according to the research going forward, particularly with the millennials. So you are at the cutting edge, Claire. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of leading the charge. I've always been uh, rather independent in my thinking, and my career is no exception. Yeah, that, that's great. That's absolutely great. Well, we had the best time in Mumbai. I mean, we went, remember when we went to that laundry? That okay. was a career aspiration for certain people to keep those jobs of washing other people's clothes in their family. Do you remember that? I do. And that's, that's an amazing commitment to a family culture and a family business. And, and that's uh, in, in the, the incredible way that they made it work and be economical for the customer was pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. What are, what are some of the things um, that you see as, as, as you move globally? And as I said before, many people, many companies have been in Europe. Uh, you know, people have ventured into China, uh, Japan, but you've got a lot of experience in the Middle East. And so what have you seen as some of the global HR challenges in the workplace um, as, as, you, as you've been working over there and consulting? What's interesting to me is that particularly in some of the wealthier oil economy Middle Eastern countries is there's a very large segment of extremely well-educated women. And the women are taking advantage of that to work harder and to move up in organizations, whereas my sense among some of the men was that the men were a little bit more complacent. And the women see this as an opportunity to leverage their very strong education to move up in organizations. So I was very delighted to see uh, young women in multiple generations really 
grabbing opportunity within their organizations. It was really quite energizing to, to see. And the women who had moved up in the organization often would meet with and have networking with meetings with younger women trying to bring them along and develop them. So where in the United States we might have a bit of a stereotype about um, the Middle East, first of all, it's multiple different cultures, multiple different approaches. It's not, there's, when you're there, there's no such thing as the Middle East. It's all diverse cultures. However, I am seeing that opportunity for the women who are able to really grab and run with education. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know I had the same experience. Now most people, uh, everybody comments about the uh, a bias and 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 all of that. However, when I was in Saudi, I wasn't in Saudi Arabia, but it was in Dubai, and there were many Saudi women who were not wearing a bias, um, and or veils, and many Saudi women holding. Um, in fact, the, the, I, I don't think she was president of the uh, organization that I, but she was certainly on the board, um, was a, uh, a Saudi woman. So I, I, it sort of uh, cracked some of the existing thoughts that we may have. Now, wh- why are women getting so much education in these environments? The opportunity is there. Some of the governments do subsidize or pay for in entirety education. So why not take advantage of it if it's a country benefit? And then um, for those women who decide that they want to be career-oriented, they choose then to go on and work toward a master's degree. And that... Is, then becomes a work opportunity for them to leverage that advanced degree. So um, I'm not certain of the statistic, but I believe it's nearing the tipping point where women in that area are outwarding master's degrees over men. That's interesting. It's, it's a comment, though, that you made that the wealthier companies, what did you see in places like Afghanistan and Pakistan? Well, I was not in Afghanistan. However, in Pakistan, what you there, there are, like any other country, families that have greater wealth, and those families do tend to educate daughters and sons. Yeah. Uh, and Claire, time, you're, you're uh, fading in and out. Oh, dear. My apologies. Okay, so I don't think we heard that point. Okay. Um, in Pakistan, what I found was, like in any country, there's degrees of wealth within the population, and among the, the families who had the means to do so, they educated daughters and sons equally. Oftentimes, if they were able to do so or the, the children could get scholarships, they were often educated in Europe. And so um, what was great about that is that there was education. And though sometimes I did hear stories where, for example, there was a young woman who earned her um, medical doctor and then her surgical degrees and she had she was practicing in Germany because she didn't feel that there would really be a place for her uh, should she come back to Pakistan to, to practice her her profession at the same level as she could in Germany. What was very interesting about that is that her father was then a great advocate and very supportive of 
trying to make a stronger place for women within the Pakistani economy so that his daughter would have the option of coming home. And I find that with many countries is that fathers of daughters are great advocates for educating and promoting women. That's very interesting. You would not think that, actually. And, and a lot of that may have to do with what gets reported in the press or, uh, or, or other, other things, but you definitely would not think that. Um, Claire, I wanted to ask you, um, what do you see that companies are facing from policies that are totally U.S.-centric that won't work in these kinds of environments? Yeah, there there are some definite human resources policies in the U.S. that are not locally acceptable. And um, what it then becomes is finding a way to negotiate those. For example, um, if you think about some of the local cultures, the U.S. health insurance covers a spouse and one family. Well, in some cultures, it's legally um, fine for a man to marry multiple wives. Well, <laughs> when, when I first heard the sentence, how many wives does my health insurance cover, I was dumbfounded. All the words were English, but I still didn't understand the question because it had never occurred to me or, or something that um, I was uh, conversant with. And so eventually what did happen is because the funding was U.S.-based, we did have to tell him that it, it would cover one. And then that created a dilemma for him. I, I, want to, I want you to stop right there and hold your thought, and we're going to come back and visit this because this is, revisit this, this is a great story. And okay. I don't know that it's a great solution to this situation, but these are the kinds of things that uh, people are going to confront. We're at break. Stay with us. I'm talking to Claire Novak. We're going to have a great conversation about continued politics, practices and policies relative to HR that need to change. And we're also going to be talking about unconscious bias. And that is is a point that's near and dear to my heart. So stay with us. We're talking with Claire Novak. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral, and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune in to Amplify, featuring host Ken Roshan. This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel, and get Amplified. 
Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time for our special series on Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers presented by SAP on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to ILEAD, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. I'm your host, Linda Sharkey, and we're talking to Claire Novak, who has a wealth of experience in leadership development and human resource people, talent practices from a global perspective. And we were talking about uh, a, a client asking you how many wives would be covered under an insurance policy. Now, this is, I mean, a, a, a health insurance policy. This is not a question that you would necessarily get. Uh, in the U.S. or any Western country right. at all, frankly. And uh, so how would you handle that, and, and what were the repercussions? Well, fortunately, I, I could say to them, I'll look into it, and then the answer was is because of the U.S. base of um, the work here that it would cover one, and I did tell him about that. From his perspective, that created a bit of a dilemma for him as under his religion, he was required to provide equally for all his wives. So he worked it out, I believe, to go ahead and purchase private insurance for the second wife and any children from, from that wife and marriage because he was required and ethically needed to provide equally for both. However, because of our... Um, coverage being out of the Western model, it was one wife. And so it, it eventually worked out okay. It, it was not the solution he would have preferred, but he accepted and understood. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. But that had to be a challenging, uh, challenging situation. So what were some of the personal surprises uh, from your perspective that you experienced? Oh, gosh, there, there were a lot of surprises um, in working with people. Fun surprises, uh, funny surprises, and, and I think probably the, the greatest surprises were my own reactions and learnings to being in these situations. And I had worked overseas prior to going to Pakistan, but I hadn't lived overseas. And... Living in another culture is a different way of, of being than visiting for a month or so. And so it, 
it's one of those things where you dare and you simply find a way to adapt and make it work. It's not always easy. And at the same time, you're there, you're committed, and you, you figure out different ways to, to make things work. So, um, What were some of your personal reactions? If you can share them. I was absolutely thrilled and excited, and I am every time um, I get an international assignment. I'm just so excited to go to a new place and meet people and uh, see a new country, and I, I just... To me, that opportunity for something new, a new opportunity to learn and a new opportunity to help people, is I, I just get so excited. It's unbelievable. <laughs> um, and then, you know, as I'm doing that, I, I, my way is to process and to try to be on my own to absorb and, and learn as much as I can. So those are things... Um, for the most part, I well, think how did so. you deal with, you know, how did you deal with some of the very different ways that people de- did things from a Western perspective versus their perspective? Yeah. Well, there was a, a joke going around our, our project is that someone would say, well, what's the number one cause of divorce for um, expats? And the answer was moving to a country where you had help that lived in the house. The second part of the joke was, what's the second leading cause of divorce? And the answer was, moving back to the United States where there's no live-in help. Where there's no live-in help. <laughs> I've heard, I, I absolutely know that. That, that, is, that is absolutely true. What, they, uh, what I've experienced and what I've seen uh, also in, uh, and, and in our research that we did in, in transglobal leadership is that people take global assignments and then they're brought back to their home uh, country, Germany, wherever that happens to be, and all of a sudden they lose all the expat perks, which, by the way, are starting to go to go away anyway. But they lose all those expat perks, and um, they're not treated as um, well, frankly, at the at back at the headquarters like they were in the, in the uh, outposts. And companies just haven't been able to crack that code of how they bring people back in a way that really leverages their experience and helps them re-assimilate. And there's a very high turnover rate. There's a very high uh, turnover rate in companies um, for bringing back global employees. They move on to other places or they find another job in, that, in, in other parts of the world. So it's, it's kind, of a, kind of an interesting thing. How do you balance... Um, you know, the respective cultures and ethical questions that may come up, that not may, that do come up. That do come up. One thing I found is, first of all, be true to yourself and your own values and then work behind the scenes to try to find a creative answer when what is locally acceptable does not fit your value set. Some of the things that you outright cannot do is there clearly there's bribery going on or payments, you know, tipping, things that aren't tips but actually bribes that clearly ethically a company can't do. And it simply needs to be a very upfront, clear statement of that's not the way we work. And to bring that to the forefront 
other times when it's a matter of trying to get a manufacturer up to speed on quality of something like safety equipment, then you can work with them behind the scenes to try to move them toward the point where you need them to be and, and have uh, the product meet quality standards. So there's, there's different ways to go about it. Sometimes a good amount of creativity is needed. Sometimes good humor. Um, I had one client, and I know he had my best interest at heart. I know when he spoke to me, he was really, really trying to tell me what he thought was best for me. But the advice was to go back to the United States, get married, and have babies. Yeah, <laughs> you would have gotten sued for saying that in the United States. Yeah, um, and I, I chose to take it as him trying to do something good. So I didn't get angry. I I just I just flowed with it and you know, said, you know, appreciate that you have my my good life in your heart, thank you, and not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and how do you balance, you know, most difficult, what, what did you find was the most difficult thing that you had to deal with? In countries where security is required, I personally found that quite difficult here in the States, I'm used to just going wherever I want to go, whenever I want to go by myself. I go camping alone. I go hiking alone. And for me to have people around 24-7, including not even being able to take a walk unless someone was with me, I found that terribly difficult. Coming from being a woman in the States where I, you know, jump in the car, go do whatever I want to do, to go to living and being around other people 24-7, I found difficult and, and somewhat draining. And fortunately, I had very understanding colleagues, so when I would go up and sit on the roof uh, to be by myself, no one would bother me. So thank you, colleagues, for, for granting me my roof space. <laughs> they weren't afraid that you were going to jump or something. No, no, they knew I was sitting up there watching the sunset. Ah, uh, that's that's good. So, uh, tell me what what one or two pieces of advice do you have for HR people, companies as they're moving into these respective different parts of the world? First is to be willing to look at creative flexibility and question: Do you absolutely? have to do something a certain way or can you accomplish the goal through a different methodology? So willing to be, to find a locally acceptable way to do something and also knowing when your own values, you need to just back off that it's okay that it can get done a different way from what you're expecting and also know when to draw the line and say, no, it it does have to be done this way, and let's find a way to make it happen this way. So we find often globally working with teams, setting performance goals, performance standards, and letting the people in the team locally figure out the way to meet those tends to work pretty well. And then in terms of performance, you can go back to the measures that were in place to uh, assess how people and how the team is performing. Very interesting. So when you're thinking about this, 
you're working on a very uh, interesting project, um, at looking at policies uh, and practices across HR and seeing if they are gender neutral. We don't have a lot of time for this segment. I want to talk about this more in the next segment. But what are some of the highlights of what are what you're seeing? Do you find bias in uh, a lot of the HR former practices? Well, what's interesting is is that we do need to look at things like hiring practices, how people read resumes, and then the place of women in succession planning. Quite often, it is not necessarily a policy. It's the way it's implemented and the potential unconscious biases of the person who is implementing the policy. So by and large, the policies themselves are, are pretty common to our policies. However, there can be conscious and unconscious biases about the, how women move through in the employee life cycle. That's great. We are going to be coming up uh, on a break and I want to talk about that more, the unconscious bias that you're uncovering, because I happen to believe, and actually the research is, is pointing in that direction. There's been a lot of interesting work done um, in this area showing, frankly, in connection with the brain, that the brain is wired with some of this unconscious uh, bias that has been around for millions, of, you know, a long time, let's, mm-hmm. that caused people to... Uh, favor men over women and women will favor men over women in in certain jobs in certain situations so we're at break uh stay with us we're talking with claire uh, novak we're going to be talking about unconscious bias and gender equitability America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. If you are a small business owner or entrepreneur, you may not be aware of the different options available to you in securing business capital in today's market. We discuss and explore these options each week on Small Business Capital America with host Michael Schumacher. There are two primary ways of building business capital. Profits, which are basically higher revenue and reduced expenses, and external or debt capital. Listen live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more. Old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. 
We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, Back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. You know, talking about global HR is a great segue, uh, which we did into um, unconscious bias. Yes. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a global setting, I think that there's a lot of unconscious bias to varying degrees and you made the point of somebody saying you know you really should be go home you should do this you should do that have kids get married you know that was probably a kind statement and it came from a particular perspective um, not necessarily meant to hold you back but there's a wide range of those perspectives out there so what are the perceptions that are widely held that block gender equity particularly in a global setting Claire what are you seeing Mostly, and, and we have it here in the United States as well, is that I'm yes, we do. We do. Unconsciously, the standard for work and how it gets done is how men do it. That's pretty much true globally, is that the way men speak, the way they do work, tends to be the unconscious standard against which everyone is it's judged. Compared. Women do it. Men do it. Women have that unconscious bias as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that they do. And and like I said, there was a, a recent study, um, I, I think it was out of Harvard, that kind of underscored that. So, you know, now we have a, a, a female nominee um, for the Democratic Party for, you know, one of the largest and, you know, biggest economies in the world. It should be interesting to see how some of this unconscious or very conscious bias plays out uh, in this in the coming months, but so what are some of the other things that are um, from a gender equity perspective? I think that's a great insight, Claire. You know, because people, it has been men who have held mm-hmm. the power jobs, so yes. people's brains have been wired to recognize those characteristics and those traits as uh, leadership traits, as the model, as the standard against which, you know, you need to operate. That's very good insight. What what others do you have? Well, I was just looking at my bookshelf, and I will say that uh, if people are interested in this topic in more depth, there's a great book called Leadership and the Sexes, and it quotes a number of studies. One of the ones that I found very interesting was what they called the Heidi Howard study. They took identical an identical resume for a computer programmer. On one set of resumes that were sent out, they put the Howard 
on the other set, again, identical resume, it was Heidi. Then they had people rate those against the job description, and statistically, Howard won out. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Uh, you know, uh, eBay uh, did a similar study. I've spoken about this before on the on the show, and they looked at were women making less than men uh, on uh, their site, and yeah. in fact, women were making less than men on the site, and that there were certain cues. You know, some were obvious, mm-hmm. but there were certain cues that a site would have. You know, whether they were selling, uh, you know, didn't necessarily have to be female clothing or something that was female, that, that people picked up and decided um, that, that they weren't going to pay as much. Yeah. I, th- I thought that was fascinating. It is fascinating. And there's a number of studies that you referred to, Harvard Business Review. There was a study done on the perception of women in academic articles when there's multiple co-authors on the article the female co-authors are perceived as not having contributed at the same level as the male authors. Interesting. They were more administrative than they were um, a driving force of the article. Well, I I remember, this was a while ago when we weren't quite as enlightened about this, but I remember going to a meeting, and um, I actually was the higher-ranking professional at the meeting, and uh, two, and I was there with another man uh, who actually was a subordinate of mine. And people said to me, um, uh, asked me if I was the secretary. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There is that perception. Certainly, is that the woman needs is is by nature the the lower status person, which you know, is no longer true on that global kind of basis. And in addition... Um, well, we actually, do- Claire, it is true that women still have not made the strides yes. to the top of the house. Only 17% of corporations have women who run them. And as You're- you look around, the statistics are there. Women have more freedom, as you pointed out, yes, but they still are not dominating leadership, senior leadership roles. That's correct. And some perceptions around that, when we talk about succession planning in organizations, we can have the best tools in the world, and and many companies do use that nine-box sorting of, you know, potential versus all of that. That's wonderful. However, if there's bias in the perception of how the person is doing, the best tool in the world can't overcome that because the the women and the men get placed differently within the tool. And, and so it is important to have conversation with the people who are doing any kind of selection, be it um, outreach for hiring, sorting resumes, conducting interviews, sending somebody to training, and or put them in, put, putting them in the succession plan. Unless we have these conversations about what could constitute bias, it will still be out of kilter. Excuse me. I just had to sneeze. Um, yeah, it still will be. But so how do you, how do you, you know, you kind of touched on it, having conversations about these biases. I think people are more willing to talk about bias now. I think 20 years ago, people were not willing to talk about that. Um, and some bias is good. Some bias is not good. Bias is stuff you learn that protects you. Uh, 
you know, you, you get signals, ah, this is dangerous. I'm, I have some, you know, I'm going to protect myself against this. How do you have those conversations to get at those root causes so that we can have more equity in the workplace? Part of it can be done experientially. Um, I have thought about using that Howard Heidi resume activity with some groups just to see what happens and how it shakes out and then have the discussion of, you know, how did Howard sort higher in the pile when Heidi has an identical resume? What's going on here? And use that kind of experience to help people who are in the role of sorting resumes and hiring to have um, a standard. The other thing is it is helpful in the interviewing process is to establish before anyone is interviewed behavior-based questions that ask for actions and a rating system. This answer is a three, which is the highest. This answer is a two. This is a one. This is a zero. So that the correct or best answers are identified before a single human being comes in the room. That can give a much more standardized and useful sorting of job candidates than a a lack of a system where every interviewer asks something different, they come away with different perceptions, they don't even have the same data to compare at the end of the day. So an interviewing system in which very thoroughly the questions are developed from the job description and answers are developed ahead of time, good, better, best, tends to reduce some of that unconscious bias. You know, I, I, I totally agree. I think it's very hard to get people to do that. I mean, I've done executive search all over the world for major companies for very, very senior jobs, and getting people to not operate from uh, their gut perspective is very difficult to do, Claire. It is. It is. And it requires commitment, training, work. It's work. It's no doubt about it. Instituting a more fair and actually better selection system because those who actually go through with this and do it do find that they have candidates that are better culture fit and candidates that are more likely to... Uh, stay with the company and not turn over. There yeah. is a benefit to it, but you do have to put in the work. Yeah, and you know that that's an interesting thing. And I've seen that in hiring uh, a lot. I've seen I've actually seen situations where um, two equal candidates, both senior vice presidents. So these are not stupid. You know, these are very smart people. Were very successful, and yet they wanted to pick the man, not the not the female. But I think it would be a very interesting study for big companies to look at, and maybe they have, how many of the top performers or who get the best uh, performance ratings are male versus female by categories. That would be very interesting. Do you know anything about that? In Sandberg's book, Lean In, she talked about some studies um, that looked at um, different biases in, in those areas. And there's, there are studies done that, that can help get at some of that um, unconscious bias in the selection. So um, I'm trying to think in my head of what one of those studies was, is um, consciously or not, it's perceived that younger women are going to leave to have children. Well, they probably will, and, but not all of them. 
And the other thing that I run into in some of the countries I work in is those women, if the company's loyal to them, will go back to the company. Whereas a man, if he leaves, stays on. Yeah, very often. That's very true. We're at break, Claire. We're going to talk about this a little bit more. I have two questions that came in that, from the field that are very, very interesting. And uh, I want to wrap up and talk a little bit more about this unconscious bias because I think it's a, I think it, not just in, on, in, in gender areas, but in a lot of areas where we talk about trying to build equity, we try to talk about build, building a level playing field, and we all have filters, and not yep. all filters treat everybody equally, and that's True. just a fact. So stay with us. We're talking to Claire Novak. We're talking about unconscious bias, global leadership, global HR practices, and uh, some great insights. You'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag iLeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to iLead, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. Thanks for listening. I, I uh, We're talking to uh, Claire Novak, having a great conversation about unconscious bias. So some people, you know, I'm on the board of the uh, 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 Brain Academy of Brain-Based Leadership, and they will call it not unconscious, but they'll call it non-conscious bias. Okay. Um, might be a slight distinction, but um, what... What was the Sheryl Sandberg study you were talking about? I think a lot of people know about it, but, but say it again. It was it, very interesting. Yeah. What she had talked about was noticing that her own behavior and other women, when there was an opportunity opened up in the company, men would just immediately jump in and apply for it, whereas the women wanted to learn more, they wanted to think about it more, and they de- eventually stepped up, 
However, the men had gotten there first and kind of filled the opportunity before women felt they had enough information to jump in. So what do you do then? Do you counsel the women to jump in faster or do you extend the period a bit and provide more information and say we're not closing the door until X period where more people have a chance and, and women say, yeah, I'm willing to jump into that opportunity. And I think that's a very interesting question because I, as I said, I've done a lot of this kind of work all over the world and I did, did notice, I, we were sort of joking at the, at the break around, you know, that sounds like Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Whatever your politics are, Donald Trump jumps in and says, well, we'll figure it out. And he, he, off the top of his head, says what he thinks. And Hillary, on the other hand, is a very uh, person that wants to study things. She wants to have her facts lined up. Uh, a little bit more, and I did see that those characteristics in men and women uh, in in um, the work situation. But what I think is really interesting, and where you can get around this, is because very often men assume that they can do the job, but they don't have a track record that says they really can do that job, or they can't give you uh, examples of how they might approach that job. Right. On the other hand, and, and, you know, so when you are interviewing, you really have to dig into that. Well, what would you do? Because, and women, on the other hand, may be a little bit more reticent. Now, the other thing I would find, for every one job that was at a senior level, I might have six male candidates and one or two female candidates because the air is very thin for women and for minorities up at, uh, at, at those kinds of levels. So it's a, a fascinating fact. That, uh, that is an important thing for everyone to keep an eye on is that, that gap. And also what I hear, and, and Sandberg talked about in her book as well, is when I'm, when I'm interfacing with younger women who may still just be starting out in the workforce or may still be at college or university, their questions are more around how do I manage a career whereas if there's young men in the audience, those questions are more about how do I run the business. Yeah, or how do I get promoted? Yeah, right. It's the gap between, you know, how do I manage me and how do I manage a company, which is a a different kind of focus. And as Sandberg said, women do tend to think very far ahead on business decisions, trying to say, well, how will that impact when I eventually do have a family? It's like, well, you know what? That didn't happen yet, so judge the business position on its merits and where you are now, and the future will take care of itself. So some counseling with women as well to say, you know, five years out is a long time. What's in front of you for the next 18 months? Yeah. For the 18 months, is this a good position for you? Are you qualified? Do you want to take it? And parallel to that is that in succession planning, men are often put in the succession plan based on potential and women are put there based on past performance. Yeah. Now, right there is an inherent bias. Yes. Good point. Very good point. And that's all something that we all have to watch out for. And I always say, you know, which, which leads me to a question that we have in the field, that, you know, HR's job, if it really does a good job, at, is, is morphing into so much more of the culture, the conscience, the values, um, the organizational fabric of a company as opposed to policies and procedures and rules and regulations and, you know, making sure 
people take don't cheat on their vacation or don't cheat on their uh, you know personal time off or whatever um, so we have a question in that came in from Sandra and she wants to know from your point of view what do you think are some antiquated policies and practices from HR that we just need to get dumped one of the ones that's in the process of being dumped is segmenting time off into all kinds of tiny little brackets. So is it personal time off? Is it sick time? Is it you know, vacation time? What kind of time is it? That's going away to say, here's your bucket of leave time. Do what you need to do. What I also like being moving forward in the HR world is being more gender-friendly to fathers, because we haven't talked about that. But if you remember how I believe it was a baseball player was vilified because he missed a game to see his child born, holy cow, you know, let's even that part up for men and let them be dads. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with you there. That, that's, that's when I say this. I mean, equality, not men, women, it, Equality for everybody so that they're treated with respect as individuals in the workplace, which is where you started when we started this conversation. Give me one other thing, and then I have one other question here that somebody that I want to pose to you, and we're coming to the end of the show. So what are some other antiquated? Those were two great ones. Give me one more. I would say the the annual performance appraisal as a standalone is, is a as a fortunately dying beast. It's being replaced with more frequent coaching conversations much more often, and that to me is having a good impact. People know that their manager, first of all, knows they're alive, they know who they are, they're paying attention, and that motivates people to know that they're recognized as a human being that is putting effort into the organization. So that old once-a-year-only performance review is fortunately going out the window. Yeah, it's dying a slow death. Thank goodness, finally. (laughs) Nobody liked it, and I think it was Burson and Associates who did some research and said, there isn't anybody that likes doing it. Managers, employees don't like the feedback unless they're the top 10%. And uh, they get a great bonus, and it just alienates everybody. Quickly, we're coming to the end of the show, Claire. Uh, Somebody wanted to know, um, did you have any advice about repatriation of expats? That's a great question. Yes. I should say this came from Juan, so uh, I, I forgot to mention the name of the person. We have one minute to close. All right. Pay attention to the people in the expat positions. Keep them in the loop. Keep them in touch with their colleagues. Include them on conference calls. Keep them connected so that when they do come back, they are still connected and still part of the headquarters workforce. That's very important. Also remember that they may need a little time and a little space to get readjusted because sometimes the home country changes pretty fast or the perception of it changes after you've lived overseas. I joke that when I left the United States to go to Pakistan, Pandora was jewelry. When I come back, it was radio. I was confused. Right, it's very confusing. 
Claire, thank you so much for joining the show. It was a great conversation. It was a real pleasure meeting you and hanging out with you in India. And we just had a great time and staying connected. And uh, people can get a hold of you. Uh, How do they get a hold of you? Any number of ways. Certainly LinkedIn. And as long as you spell Claire properly, C-L-A-R-E, Novak, N-O-V-A-K, you'll find me on LinkedIn. And my website is businessleadershipqualities.com. Excellent. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, Next week, we're going to be talking to um, somebody that I absolutely love, uh, Robert Passan. He's the CEO of Radio Flyers, and he's got a great story. Um, You're going to be absolutely fascinated with uh, some of the things that he has to say, and I'm just a very impressive guy, and turned a company that's a 70-year-old company back into a new powerhouse. So thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week. Thank you.